This is Jesse Matthewson from Canmode, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we are back with a very special Christmas Day episode of The New Scene. And I am not here alone. I have with me Casey Iodine. Casey, welcome back to the show. Hey, Keith. It's it's always funny doing this because I talk to you more than anyone else in my life, including my own mother, and uh, I feel like we record... Or no, not record. I think we cover a uh, podcast level material on a daily basis at this point. Almost daily basis. So it's weird to talk to you on the phone and then go into podcast mode and talk to you here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's an incredible coincidence that your birth last name is Iodine, right? Because <laughs> that became the name of the label. I mean, that worked out perfectly. Uh, Yeah, you know, it couldn't have uh, worked out better for us. Well, look, we're here on Christmas Day to bring you our annual best of episode. We're going to each go through our top 10 records of the year. We're going to talk about some of our favorite moments from the year in the new scene and iodine recordings. And look, Casey, I think I might be the only podcast who doesn't take a week off and drags myself to the microphone to record a very special episode to be released on Christmas Day. I I hope I'm the only one, am I? I I don't know, but this is the show that keeps on giving, and I I don't think there's a a better gift we could give to the people than uh, our personal top 10 albums of the year. Exactly. Exactly. This year is going to be special, too, because we have a surprise interview at the end of the episode. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, without further ado... Let's get into it. Here is the top records of 2023, according to us. And I'm going to kick things off. So here we go. Number 10. End. The Sin of Human Frailty. Now, End is quickly becoming my favorite band of this new breed of metalcore. The album starts off strong and doesn't let up until the very end. They really get my blood pumping when I listen to them, like big time. Casey, you know that move that people do at hardcore shows where there's the pit and they like do a, a, a jump spin kick into the air, like into a wall of people? Oh, yeah. That that Listening to the end makes me want to do that really badly. And on this new record, they introduced some industrial elements and I think it works really well with their overall sound. And the live show is always top tier. I saw them again earlier this year. I forget what episode I detailed it on, but the live show is top tier. The band is top tier. Great stuff. And my favorite track from the record, The Sin of Human Frailty. You know, the funny thing about End is it's one of my favorite heavy bands, but for whatever reason, this album just never made its way into rotation for me this year. And I don't think I even considered it for my top 10 because I, I never got a chance to sit down with it. So... Uh, I'll probably be regretting not including them in my list when I go back and finally hear it. Yeah, there's a, uh, someone I know posted a gigantic list of every hardcore record they, they listened to this year. 
and it completely dwarfs the amount of stuff I listen to. And there, there's just a incredible amount of stuff that I didn't even get the chance to listen to out of sheer busyness. So I get what you're saying. Yeah, no. And I think that it's probably worth even mentioning at the the front of this, because I think that we live in a really amazing time in, in punk and hardcore because there's just no shortage of new music coming out. And not only is it like the quantity, but I think the bar is so high now for bands to actually be able to carve out a place, you know, you know, an audience and sell enough records to make it worthwhile that people really are pushing the limits of what they can do with, with the, with their sound. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a competitive playing field out there and, you know, it's just amazing to see that, you know, not only these old bands that we'll be talking about, but, you know, just young people coming into the scene for the first time. Yeah, there's no shortage of good stuff out there. So let's get into some more. Number nine, Incendiary. Change the way you think about pain. This was a big record for a lot of people this year. Incendiary's first new record in six years. And now I defy you to listen to the opening track, Bite the Hook. Listen to the entire track, and if you feel nothing after that, then you might just be dead inside. Or you might not like hardcore at all, which is fine. But wow, this album, another one that really gets me going. Uh, I just love the band. I love their style. I really love Brendan's vocal style. And I actually met Rob, the guitar player, at a party recently. Chris Enriquez had a thing at a, a bar in the Lower East Side. And I went over there and was hanging out for a bit and I met Rob and I was talking to him for a minute and I was like, hey, I really love the record. It's in our top records of this year. Really nice guy. Great band. Favorite track, Bite the Hook. Love this band. And uh, you may or may not see this in my top 10. Yes. Yes. There may be some crossover. So Maybe. Maybe strap just in. a few. All right. Number eight, Rid of Me, Access to the Lonely. Now, I've known Mike, the guitar player of this band, for a long time. He used to be in Fidamp and another band called Plaque Marks with some of my other friends. And I've known Niteria for an even longer time. And I'm happy to see them together in this band, bringing us this excellent, heavy, melodic, noisy punk rock. It's not too abrasive. It's not too soft. It's the perfect mix of everything. And I had the chance to see them at St. Vitus recently for the Brutal Panda 15th anniversary showcase. They're great live as well. Really great record. Can't say enough nice things about it. They're really coming into their own on this one. And my favorite track, Hell of It. I listen to that one a lot. Actually, Keith, you had introduced me to Rid of Me. Um, I'd seen their name around, but I'd never really got around to giving them a, a listen. And I got to say, you know, after hearing the band and hearing your interview with Iteria, I was just like so impressed with, you know, his story and how open he was with, you know, kind of just sharing his personal experience, just, you know, not only in music, but, um, personally. And I reached out to Iteria on Instagram after I heard the podcast and just said, Hey, I was really impressed with, you know, how open you were and, and, and the overall interview and he was really gracious and, um, you know, I got some time to listen to this album and uh, just really impressed with what this band is doing. Yeah, it was good stuff. Another one of those interviews where talking to the person made me like the band even more. So excellent work, rid of me. 
Number seven, Military Gun, Life Under the Gun. Another big record for many, many people this year. And when I saw them at the top of Rockefeller Center this past summer, my friend leans over to me and he's like, okay, are they pop hardcore or hardcore pop? And I laughed and I was like, I don't know, but listen, call it what you want, but I really love what they're doing. Uh, the song Very High, especially, really grabbed me. I listened to that one a ton. And I would put this record in the top 10 based on that song alone. But the entire record is super, super solid. And I think this band has a very bright future ahead of them. And it's 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 a really unique sound. It's it's I don't want to say emo. I don't want to say post-hardcore. I don't want to say hardcore. It's not too much of any one of those things. It's the perfect blend of everything, and I really love it. And favorite track, very high, of course. Yeah, Military Gun, just they, they're doing something that just like perfectly combines, you know, all the things I love about hardcore and punk and, you know, it's melodic and it's, you know, it's got enough edge that it feels, has that sort of, um, what's the, the spirit of hardcore without being hardcore. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're just top of their game when it comes to that stuff. Okay, number six, taking meds, dial M for meds. It's not emo, it's not exactly post-hardcore, but whatever it is, it's very catchy and very good. It reminds me of the 90s when you would just constantly hear good and interesting music on the radio. It takes me back to that time. It's really catchy, it's really solid. They caught my attention when I saw them live for the first time. They were out with the casket lottery. I think they were direct support for the Casket Lottery on their last tour, and uh, I was watching them, and they mentioned that Kurt Ballou recorded their most recent record, Dial M for Meds, at God City, and I was like, okay, I like this band. I got to hear this record, and you know what? It's great. I recommend it to all of you. Go check them out. Favorite track, Life Support. Super, super catchy. You won't get it out of your head once you hear it. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, this is a band that sort of fell off my radar. I mean, I saw their name a lot this year. And I think when the album first came out, I, you know, saw the album cover and the band being mentioned different places. But this is one I have not listened to yet. So, you know, I need to I need to take some time with that one as well. I'll, I'll listen to end in uh, back in uh, taking meds back to back. Yeah, I was going to say that that'll be another uh, 2024 discovery for you. That happened to me with Soul Blind in 2023. That record came out, their last LP came out in 2022, but I didn't hear it until this year. So that instantly became one of my new favorites. But uh, listen, I digress. We're into top five territory here now. So things are going to get very serious very quickly. All right, here we go. Number five, a surprise release that just came out this month that hammered its way into my top 10. Someone that was on the show last week. Hmm? Code 7, Go Let It In. A very welcome end-of-year surprise from Code 7. Their first new LP in 19 years. And they bring their own unique brand of post-hardcore to the table. This album has it all. Good riffs, catchy hooks, the great dreamy delay elements, that whole thing. It's got everything. And my favorite track, Laissez-Faire. I've been listening to that track over and over. It's been stuck in my head since I first heard this record. And uh, great stuff. Yeah, you know, I I liked Code 7 back in the day. Um, I think I was just about as surprised as everyone else when I saw the uh, 
the surprise comeback album, if you will. But uh, I've been so busy, I have not had a chance to sit down with this one either. And I think all I've heard was whatever track you had on a transition on the podcast. But I'm uh, I'm looking forward to to giving this one uh, a few spins here in the coming weeks. I'll have to I'll have to do like a revised podcast after I actually listen to all the albums that came out this year. All right, moving on to number four, Hammock, Love in the Void. Hammock has been my favorite band for like the last ten years, so I'm always excited when they release something new. And I loved this one in particular because they're doing more full band stuff with vocals on this record. They go back and forth. They'll do full band arrangements with vocals. They'll do full band arrangements, instrumental. They'll do straight ambient albums. And I like those too, but I like the full band stuff the most. And they're doing more of that on this. And they're a heavy band. And I don't mean like hardcore metal heavy, but very heavy emotionally. And that's what I love the most about them. I have to be in the right mood and the right headspace to even to listen to them. It's not something I put on every day all the time. It's like a time and place thing. I mean, because like just reading their song titles alone can gut you. So imagine that combined with the music. It's great stuff. Great stuff. And my favorite track from this record, Untruth. Listen to it. It will change your life, Casey. <laughs> okay. I I think again, like it's funny. You and I have some overlap, clearly, but um, there's also some divergence. And I think this is another one where Hammock was never really on my radar until I met you, because you had always talked about them being one of your favorite bands. So, you know, once again, this one didn't really kind of fall into my rotation, um, but I have always liked what I've heard in the past and uh, definitely look forward to diving into that one as well. Yes. And I look forward to Hammock eventually coming on the show. So uh, let's go. What are we waiting for? <laughs> They'll be listening to this episode. I know he will. I know he will. It's, it's going to happen. Number three, Spotlights, Alchemy for the Dead. Now, I first heard about Spotlights when I had Chris Enriquez on the show way back when, and then the Darling Fire ended up doing a five-day run of shows with Spotlights over the summer, and when I saw them on this run, this is when I was fully sold on the band. In addition to their massive, massive live sound, they've got great style, they've got great aesthetics. The live show is just absolute top tier. They're super captivating to watch, and it's always a trip to just watch them fully win over any room they play, wherever they play. The beginning of the set, you watch everybody, they're like, oh, what's going on? Who's this? And then by the end of the set, everybody in the room is banging their heads. It's great. And Alchemy is an excellent addition to their roster, and I look forward to more from them in the future as they continue to grow. Definitely go see them live if you have the chance. My favorite track, Algorithmic, and False Gods is a close second, but those songs are back-to-back -back on the record, so listen to those, and you're in for quite a good time. I got a confession, Keith. Yes. I didn't love this album. And it was, uh, it was really hard for me because I love everyone in that band. Um, but for whatever reason, it just didn't, it didn't hit me the way I wanted it to hit me. And it, it did not make it onto my list. And it was kind of hard because I really wanted it to be. And I think it's a great record, but for whatever reason, it just didn't, it just didn't sink. Like 
didn't hit that spot that I wanted it to hit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of records I listen to throughout the year that I like, but they just don't make it into the continued rotation or something, you know, like top 10 continued rotation, something that I continue listening to for years. There's much respect to be had out there, but hey, it's just a matter of preference. Yeah. Do you think Chris is going to be sad when he hears you say that? He probably. I mean, I, I love you, Chris, if you're listening. Um, I, you know, I, I want to say, I mean, they, they are immensely talented. And th- this oh, yeah. album deserves all the accolades that it's getting. I think just for me personally, it didn't really strike that chord, which is fine. I mean, it takes different strokes, different folks, right? So I, I think it's an amazing record. And I think anyone who's a fan of Spotlights will, you know, has been very happy with it. But it, it did not make it onto my list, unfortunately. Well, we've got two lists here. So all bases are covered. So here we go. Top two. Are you ready for this, Casey? I'm ready. Number two. Zulu. A New Tomorrow. Now, having Anaya on the show and hearing him tell the story of the beginning of this band was pretty compelling stuff. He had very early success in his band The Bots that he was in with his brother. And I remember him saying that he wanted to incorporate some of the more hardcore punk sound he was into, into that band. His brother was not into it. Eventually, he made the tough decision to part ways with the band. He put in time as a drummer for a, a few notable Bay Area punk bands. And then he started Zulu, the band that he now fronts. And his vision came true. And just hearing him talk about, you know, all these ideas he had for merch and lyrics and samples and the music and everything. And he just pieced it all together and made his vision come true. And now we have a new tomorrow. And it's not just an LP. I would say it's a work of art because the sampling and the different narration and the way it segues into and out of the songs, uh, this makes this not just a record of songs, but an experience and one that I highly recommend to everybody. So if you somehow haven't heard it yet, go and check it out. My favorite song, I think it's kind of a tie. All right. Where I'm from, so, so, so good. And Life as a Shorty Shouldn't Be So Rough. Another amazing track. I, I think I'm tied between those two. It's really hard to pick between them. Well, I'm not going to comment on Zulu because I have some stuff to say. Mm, I see. Some foreshadowing. I like it. All right. So here we go. The number one record, my choice for number one record of 2023 is not going to be told to you just yet because in a stunning turn of events, for the first time since Casey and I started doing this top 10 thing, he and I have the same top record of 2023. So we're going to leave everybody on a cliffhanger right now and I'm going to back up And now Casey is going to deliver his top 10 records of 2023. Oh, people are on their seat. They they can't wait. They have to suffer through me for like the next 10 minutes to hear what the number one record is. They're hitting that 15 seconds forward button in a furiously (laughs) right now. (laughs) All right, Casey, go for it. All right. Here's what I'm going to start with. The thing that you hate, and I'm going to break the rules right right off the bat. Oh, I know what this is going to be. Yeah. So... Look, I got to just say, this year, there were so many fucking good records that 
this top 10 list was just, it took me two weeks to boil this down. And I talked to you, what, like two hours ago? And when we were on the phone, I was still messing with the list, trying to figure out like where to place everything. So um, I'm going to start number 10 with a a tie, a two-way tie. First is Military Gun, Life Under the Gun. Such a great record. Um, It's just one of those albums that as soon as you turn it on, it's enjoyable until the very end. And like I had said earlier, I don't think there's anyone out there right now. Well, there's one other band, but they're they're on my list too. That, you know, just does that really like melodic, hardcore punk sound that, you know, just meshes all these different genres together. But to do it in a way that just brings that energy um, and that sort of, I don't know, just the the construction of the songs... everything about them is is just fun and enjoyable. And my top track for that was Do It Faster. And it was tied with Rebuilder, local support. And uh, Iodine put out the Rebuilder album, so I had a hard time cutting it off this list. But, you know, Rebuilder is one of those bands that normally wouldn't make its way onto my list because they're more of a pop punk sound. And you know, when we took this record on, it just really grew on me and it, it is like constantly on rotation for me. And, you know, Sal's been on the show. You've talked to him, just one of the most passionate people in music out there right now. So, um, you know, I, it's on there two-way tie military gun and rebuilder my top rebuilder song, Hanging on the Telephone Part 2. Yeah, Military Gun. Well, we already know what I think about them. Amazing stuff. And Rebuilder. When I listened to the record in anticipation of Sal being on the show, I really liked it. Even though it's not my go-to style of music, I really liked it. And talking to Sal, it just made me really like the band even more. He was just so personable and he's so passionate about this band. And after hearing about everything he went through, even before the whole debacle with uh, the anti-flag label, to get this record out, I was just so happy for him that it happened and uh, great stuff. Yeah. And they worked on it for like two years. You know, it was uh, it was no small feat. So. But that's my only two-way tie, I swear. Everything else is uh, playing by the rules, Keith. All right. We, we will allow it because, Casey, I know you are, uh, you are in a tough position being the head of the label, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, number nine. I had Painted Black, Famine. Um, I got to say, I, I think I went into this album thinking I wasn't going to like it. You know, with Painted Black you know, having not done a record in what, was it 10 years? It's been a while. The last release was the Invisible EP in 2013, 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years. So, you know, I think the bar is pretty high and I've always been a huge fan of Dan Yemen's bands. Lifetime is one of my top bands of all time. Kid Dynamite's one of my favorite bands of all time. So, you know, when anyone that sort of like holds that position for me, does a new record, I'm going to kind of hold it to a higher standard than I would a new band, you know? And look, they didn't disappoint. I mean, this album just, it's what I wanted from Dan Yemen and the rest of the band. So it was, it was catchy. It was hard. I like the, the way they mixed it. It was pretty dirty, 
Um, I don't, did you get that feel when you listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, it has like more of a classic hardcore punk feel. Now it doesn't sound like some old record from the eighties or whatever, but just, you know, the musicality mixed with the production, it just works so good. Yeah. You know, the choruses were hooky, the, the hit hard. Like I said, you know, kudos to those guys for coming out with just such a strong record after such a long break. Uh, number eight, I had gel only constant. This is a band that I think there was, do you know when the, when this record came out? So I'm interrupting myself, but, um, did it come out early in 2023? Hold on. Let's check the records. It came out March 31st, 2023. Perfect. That's what I was hoping because I kept seeing this album pop up and pop up and pop up. And I think that, you know, I, I spend so much time around music that I often sort of ignore whatever's hype at the moment. And I just kind of come to it in my own time. And the thing that sold me on gel was seeing them live at fest. And I got to see them twice. They, they played the main stage and then they played this like, uh, after midnight backyard show um out in the suburbs it was the weirdest thing ever it was like some guy's backyard and jerome's dream played and uh, gel played and there was probably 300 people just like crowded around this like pit (laughs) in southern florida and um they just they just brought it and after that i went back and i listened to the album and it's just everything you want from like a, a crusty punk you know hardcore album and it reminded me of that band nausea uh from the 80s and 90s do you remember them no oh it just really crusty heavy punk and it's simple but it i don't know they just uh they made something that was really cool and um it's been on rotation now for the last two months yeah it's really good i was just listening to the record earlier today Excellent stuff. Incredible bass tone too. That was the oh, yeah. first thing that yeah. that bass, jumped out at me. Huge. Uh, my my pick off that track or off that album was uh, attainable. But uh, you know, it's worth mentioning too that uh, you know this is the last few years. It's really been mind blowing how many women have entered you know sort of the the hardcore realm as far as you know either fronting bands or playing in bands, and you know I think that. It really is amazing because, you know, I'm going to date ourselves here, but, you know, back in the 90s, like, I only remember like two bands that had women that played in them. You know, one was like 108 with Kate. Um, the other was uh, Disembodied. And was there was there Most Precious Blood, right? That was another one. Yeah. And the only two I can remember, well, Disembodied, Walls of Jericho, oh, Walls and of Jericho. Fast Times. Yeah. I mean, it's like a handful of hardcore bands and it's just so fucking cool now that women are sort of coming in and just dominating in the scene right now. And I I just love to see it. So congrats to Jill because they they deserve all the success they get. Absolutely. Number seven for me, Fiddlehead. Death is nothing to us. And I will say that this album was a little bit disappointing to me. Uh, it still made it way, its way on my list. But the last Fiddlehead record 
was is still one of my favorite records um and it came out in 2020 2021 yeah 2021 i think yep yeah i mean it was um yeah it was my album of the year um and i think that it was going to be hard for them to top the last record because it, it was almost perfection so fiddlehead one of my favorite bands, uh, you know, similar to Military Gun, they are just the the top of the heap when it comes to melodic hardcore and punk. And, you know, this album was enjoyable from start to finish. I just didn't feel that it had as many sort of, you know, high moments that their past albums have had. Uh, but the track that I want to highlight is Selling Boy, which is just phenomenal. Yeah, this was a really good record. It brings me back to classic hardcore, post-hardcore emo bands, like 90s stuff. But it doesn't sound like that, really. Like when It's hard to explain, but when I listen to Fiddlehead, I get the same feeling I get when I listen to Turning Point, when they became more post-hardcore, right? But Fiddlehead sounds like their own thing. They've really come into their own. And just looking at the album cover, I was looking at the album cover today, and and I... I just got this weird feeling of nostalgia looking at it. I, ca- I can't explain it, but just, I don't know. I just really liked it. And I saw them live for the first time at uh, Furnace Fest. I think that was last year when you and I were both there. And uh, just an overall great band. And Pat Flynn is hands down one of the best front people of any hardcore band out there right now. Oh, yeah. Easily. Although he would be closely competing with my number six pick, which is Drain Living Proof. Mm. And uh, Drain was not initially on my list. Although when I went back and looked at all the albums that came out this year, you know, I was like, this album just hits and slaps so hard that it's got to come on the list. And um, I tell you, when you interviewed Sammy, I was sold on Drain. (laughs) I was like, I buy the, I'm going to buy into the hype. These guys just like, they're living it. And this album just, it's fun. It's heavy. They throw in all these like crazy metal riffs in solos and um, every, I mean, it's just, it's just such a cool album and, you know, seeing them live and seeing the energy they bring uh, again, it's just, it's just so fun to see bands like this out there right now. My favorite track off this one was Evil Finds Light. Yeah, I hope I get to see them sometime soon. And talking to Sammy just instantly sold me on the band. He's one of the nicest and most charismatic people I've ever spoken to on the show. And he got me all hyped up even before we started recording, which no one has done before. He's like, all right, man, we're we're going to do this, right? We're going to have fun. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, I love the record. I love the band. And I wish them continued success. Yeah, I got to figure out his secret to life, man, because that dude just seems to be living it. And uh, he was just so happy and, and so high on life. Like, I, I'm missing something. He needs to write a book. I think the secret is to live in California and not be in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, number five, I think, is sort of a, a polar opposite in a way. I had Horsewhip, Consume and Burn. And another album that came out on Iodine. But uh, I will say that this this album would have been on my list regardless. It's It's so heavy. It's so dark. And it is just... I think the whole thing clocks in at like 22 minutes or something like that. 
and it is just a brutal assault on all the senses. Um, Horsewhip, I think that I mean this is their third album, and I feel like this is really their their pinnacle. You know, they finally found their sound. They had a few lineup changes. They switched vocalists, and um, everything about this album from start to finish, it's just an assault. Uh, and uh, Plague Machine was my my top song, and it just has everything you want from that D beat brutal hardcore cross punk sound bands like uh his hero is gone or tragedy and there's not many bands that are doing it as well as they're doing it right now yeah it's fast it's heavy it's unrelenting i'm a big fan of this type of hardcore i thought of dead guy and all else failed and easy prey because of that you know shouty kind of tim singer style vocals i really like that kind of stuff and this was my second favorite heavy iodine record of the year so can't say enough good things about it so if it was my second favorite what could be the first hmm well more will be revealed uh number four i had incendiary change the way you think about pain yes um this is another band that i largely was not paying attention to until they came on the podcast and i went back and gave this album a few spins and holy shit, this has got to be one of the heaviest albums that came out this year. And again, it's like this type of hardcore is not usually the type of stuff I gravitate towards. Like I, I usually gravitate towards more stuff like End or Horsewhip or um, you know stuff in that realm or more the melodic side. But I just couldn't deny just how hard this album hit. And I don't know who produced it, but holy shit. I mean, it is heavy in a way that every heavy band dreams they could sound like. And just like you, Bite the Hook, I don't know what it is about that breakdown of that song, but it makes me want to just start punching people. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the production because the production on this record, I got to figure out where they recorded this thing and go there myself. So good. Yeah. Number three, The Iron Roses, self-titled album. I just think that this was another album that really broke ground. You know, it, it combined a lot of different styles and genres and it's super melodic, but when you listen to the lyrics, you know, it, it, it's pretty dark and heavy, you know, it gets political, it gets personal. And, you know, even if you're not into this type of punk and I'm hesitant to use the word ska punk because I don't really think that that's what it is. I think it's more just sort of a melting pot of a lot of different influences and genres. But it's got that earworm secret sauce to it where no matter what you do, you can't get these songs out of your head. When we signed the Iron Roses uh, last year, you know, the the members and Nathan Gray and Becky, they were like, are you ready for this? Cause uh, I don't think it's going to be the way you expect. And uh, you know, at first I was like a little bit scared and trepidatious that I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was getting, but man, <laughs> this album just really blew me away when I heard it for the first time. I've been talking to Nathan for a number of years on this show and I'm really rooting for them. The last time they were on was one of the best conversations I ever had with them. And certainly one of the best I had all year. And I remember them saying that they were going to be giving their all 
to this band for the next two years. And Nathan and the rest of the band are really putting in the work. The record is great. And I'm wishing them all the best. Yeah. Oh, and my my uh, track for that album is Revolution Summer. Number two, I actually just moved some stuff around before I did my list because I couldn't decide for my number two. And uh, you and I matched again. Zulu, A New Tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. I I, I just can't deny. I, I was listening to this album um, about an hour ago before we started the podcast and it's just such a special album and what they did with everything from the songs to the transitions to, I mean, all the stuff that you said, it just, I don't know, like, like it gives me chills at times when I listen to it. Um, and they sampled some old, like, is it like Motown or like old, um, like you know what I'm talking about? Like some of the the old song samples they have in between the tracks. Yeah, like old song samples. I think some narration that might be on, from other records. I think some original narration. There's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, I mean the the whole album is just like an experience in of itself. And anyone who's like been a a casual Zulu fan, I challenge you to go sit down and listen to this album from start to finish. You know, with no distractions because. Like you said, it is a piece of art. Um, it's a it's a special record. It's got a really important message, and um, you know, Anaya has a is an amazing story. And I think what they are doing is just you know kind of revolutionary to to really take this approach for a hardcore band and you know put forth the message that they're putting forth, and to do it at such a young age is so impressive. I don't know how old he is, but I think he's in his 20s. Is that? Oh, yeah. I think uh, mid-20s. So yeah. definitely really impressive. Yeah. I mean, they they made a record that people in their 40s and 50s dream that they could make. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Huge congrats to them. Yeah. I got chills a lot of times listening to it, too, because I love, I love when there's like some hip-hop flair on some of the songs, too. Like, especially, again, in the song Where I'm From, just the way they do the vocals the verse, I got like serious chills listening to it again today. And I was like, yes, this is so good. Yeah. Where, where I'm from, 100% my top track as well. Yeah. All right. So, here we are at the precipice of everything. Now, you know, Casey actually, I saw his list ahead of time, but he switched it again before we did this. So, there, there's some big surprises here. Uh, but we did have the number one record. Now, we did not get together. We did not plan this. This is pure coincidence that we each have this number one record as our number one record. But this record has had a huge impact on me this year. So, I'm going to tell you what it is right now. My choice for top record of 2023, Jerome's Dream. The Gray in Between. Now, I first caught wind of the album as singles started dropping, and I heard all the I heard all of the singles, and I liked all of the singles, but it wasn't until the album came out and I heard Pines on the Hill with guests for the first time that I got fully hooked. And I remember hearing it and I immediately sent it to Tommy and I was like, You've got to hear this. That that riff is just so haunting, and I've I've never really heard anything like that from Jerome's Dream before, so it just it just grabbed me. And uh, 
slowly I just started listening to the record over and over and it became my most listened to record of the entire year. And in addition to being my favorite record of the year, it's just been really inspirational to me too because I'm starting a new band. It's kind of in this neighborhood of music. So just the production and the guitar tone, you know, not only my favorite songs of the year, my favorite record of the year, but just like inspirational too for what I'm starting to create. So I love that about it as well. Um, So in addition to best record of the year, they also put on the best live show I saw this year. You know, I expected the show to be mostly older dudes, right? Because a lot of these shows can be. (laughs) But I went to the sold out gig in Brooklyn and I was really pleasantly surprised to see a ton of young people there just going off for the entire set. And they sound massive on record. They sound massive live. There's not enough good things I can say about Jerome's dream. So that's my choice for number one record of the year, The Gray In Between. And my favorite track, easily, A-A-E-E-A-A. I cannot get enough of that riff. Uh, I listen to the song a lot. And when I see them live again, I might lose control when they play that song. And just go off. We're we're gonna have to wait and see what happens. Well, Keith, my number one album of the year of 2023 is Jerome's Dream, The Gray in Between. Yes. Can you believe it? I I'm stunned. All I can say about this album is it is such a special record. And it's for me personally, knowing Eric and Jeff and Sean personally, and you know, they, they are close friends, you know, they're a big part of my life and knowing the process that they went through to make this album, you know, they went to some very dark places and I know that their process for writing the songs is just so different than any other band that I've ever worked with or know personally. And I didn't hear any of the demos. I didn't hear any of the sort of the workup until they had the final album complete. And I remember Eric had sent me the album and he was like, you know, please listen to it from start to finish, you know, when you have some time to really sit down with it. And Keith, I think you probably know some of this. Um, and anyone who knows me personally knows that I, I had a really tough few years, I had gone through some pretty tough personal things. And, um, you know, I don't talk about it publicly much, but it it was a rough time the last couple of years for me. And yes, I heard this album and for whatever reason, it just struck a chord and it had all these feelings just sort of pour out of me. And there's a moment on the album where Jeff starts screaming, I've got to get away. I've got to get away. I've got to get away. When you when you and, just started saying that right now, I got chills down my spine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am not ashamed to admit this, but I was listening to this album in my car and when Jeff was screaming that part and and hearing it for the first time, I just started bawling my eyes out and I I felt like I was weeping like a like a small child. Um I don't know what it was, but it just brought out this like raw emotional feeling inside of me. And, um, they just created something that was just so beautiful and it's heavy. It's brutal. It, you know, they, they incorporate 
feedback and noise in ways that I don't, I don't think I've ever heard bands use before, you know, right. like the, the feedback is part of the, the, the song <laughs> yeah. and, um, or the songs and, you know, the, their, their style and the way they create the, you know, the songs from start to finish is, you know, they, they, they build the songs around the rhythm section, which I also don't think a lot of bands do, you know, like Eric will kind of write a drum part, bring it to the practice space and they sort of build a song around the drum part, which I just think is incredible. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, everything from the heaviness to the, the interlude tracks with the pianos and, um, some of the softer parts, it's just a perfect album from start to finish. Um, I am extremely proud that we got to put this album out on iodine, but it doesn't matter that we put it out because if it wasn't, it would still be my top album of the year. So there you have it. That is our top 10 records, but we want to take some time right now for some honorable mentions. So I'm going to kick it off with, now this is a 2022 record, but a song from this record got stuck in my head so much, I have to mention it. The band is Ways Away. The LP is called Torch Songs. It's from last year. This is the band featuring Jesse from Stick to Your Guns and Sergi from Sam I Am and a bunch of other bands. And there's other notable people in the band. But this is a great band. And this is a great record. And the song I'm Not Laughing With You, it just got stuck in my head so many times over the course of this year. I didn't hear the record until this year. You got to check it out. That song in particular, but the whole record is great as well. Yeah. And Keith, I mean, speaking of Sam I Am, just to kick off the, the honorable mentions, Sam I Am had a new album out in 2023 uh, called Stowaway. And, you know, this was an amazing album. And, uh, you know, they, they, I don't remember when their last album was, but it's, it's been a, it's been a while. Um, really enjoyable, well put together. You know, this was a tough one to not make it onto the my final list, but I think that I'm just like so stuck in like what Sam I Am has done in the past that, you know, this one didn't quite nudge its way on the top 10, but this one was definitely in rotation this year. Yes, classic band, classic, classic stuff. Another one for me, One Step Closer, Songs for the Willow. This is a three-song EP that they put out this year. Some of the best songs they've ever released. I'm hoping a look into what they're planning for the future. I know they have recorded a new record, which I'm really looking forward to. This is a band that I've been following since their debut EP. I love everything that they do. And these three songs are must listens. I just got to say, like, it is a new era for hardcore. And the amount of bands that are popping off right now, the amount of new record labels, it's just, it's overwhelming, but at the same time, it's just really exciting. And I, I see, I sense that same level of excitement in young people that I felt when I first got into hardcore, you know, way back when. And I mean, just, you know, with One Step Closer and then, you know, this year we had new releases from Scowl, from FOM, um, Calling Hours. I mean, just so much really cool stuff um, coming out. And then we have labels like Flatspot and Convulse and New Morality Zine and Sunshine and um, sorry, Sunday Drive Records. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a really cool time in music. And so many of these records are just so well made and 
it makes it hard to come up with a top 10, but you know, it's, it's just impressive with the amount of output that's, that's out there right now. Oh yeah. Like you said, it feels like when I got into hardcore, everything is very exciting. There's a lot of new people coming in. There's a lot of new excellent bands out there. Speaking of, here's another new excellent band that I really dig. The Callous Dow Boys. They released a three song EP this year called God Smiles Upon the Callous Dow Boys. They have a really unique blend of metalcore. They're experimenting with a lot more different sounds on this EP. The way they blend everything is just really unique. I mean, you could say they sound like Dillinger Escape Plan or this band or that band, but I would not hold them to any single comparison of any band. I think what they're doing is really special, and I loved this EP. Yeah, that band is just absolutely wild. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's really cool to see how how much traction they're getting right now. Yeah. Some other things I had on my list, you know, I, I actually don't buy much vinyl. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. But one of the records I did buy this year was the new Values Here or the debut album from Values Here, which is called Take Your Time, I'll Be Waiting. And um yeah, just a super fun band, um, you know, old school, classic hardcore stuff, and just was kind of really excited with this record, even though, you know, it's it's not something that I would typically pick up as far as a, a physical record goes. The other album that dropped this year that I think really surprised people was the, the New Hope Conspiracy EP that dropped on Black Friday which was called Confusion, Chaos, Misery. Um, nobody was expecting that. And that is just some super hard-hitting classic Hope Conspiracy stuff. All right, so a couple more here. Here we go. Soft Kill, Meta World Peace. This band is always doing something interesting. This is another great LP from them. They put out music at a pretty fast pace. And, you know, usually that would worry me with a band, but I love... Everything that Soft Kill has done, this album is no exception. They even experiment with some hip-hop woven into the songs on this record. Great live and great on record. Another one, Calling Hours. Yeah, Calling Hours is on my, my mention list as well. The album is called Say Less. I love it. It's just great having Popeye in a full band situation again. I just got really good feelings listening to this. It's super catchy. It's super melodic. It's everything you would want from Popeye and the rest of the guys. Awesome stuff. Yeah. After uh, that podcast interview, that one single from the album, I had that on repeat for like three days straight. I just couldn't get it out of my head. It was like an earworm. But, you know, really excited to see Popeye playing again with a full band. Great debut EP. Can't wait to see what they've got coming next. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to the new Mutoid Man, um, our boy Stephen Brodsky. Great album. They're they're doing solid work. And also with Honor from New Jersey, they dropped a new record on Pure Noise, uh, a record called Boundless. You know, just really good, straightforward, hardcore stuff. Uh, I think what they did was really awesome. And also Loma Prieta, last. Um, this one was a tough one. I had this one on my shortlist for you know, days leading up to selecting my final 10. Really beautiful record. Um, always loved that band. If I had to list it, it would probably come in at number 11 right now. Like it was 
one of the the more anticipated records of 2023 for me. Yeah, same here. I loved it, and it it was a struggle to get it down to ten. I really loved Last. It was great. Sean is just magnificent guitar player. I love his tone. I love everything he does. So congrats on that record. And I've got one more here, which is not a scene-type band. Now, when I studied for that really hard certification I got back in 2020, I would put on the Lo-Fi Hip Hop Beats channel to have something on in the background when I study. And that music is kind of like post-rock in that a lot of it sounds the same, right? But the longer you listen to it, you can start to pick out certain artists. And then there's certain people who really stand out. So Laffy is the artist. Out of Orbit is Laffy's latest record. It came out in 2023. Whenever I'm listening to that lo-fi hip-hop beats station, I can always tell when a Laffy song comes on. This record is fantastic, and I recommend it. All right, Keith, I have a confession. Yes. Although it's not that surprising because anyone who knows me knows that I love pop music. Huge Taylor Swift fan. I like Lady Gaga. I like Dua Lipa. This year, Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Guts, so freaking good. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> catchy, it's poppy, and it's, you know, it's everything you want in a, in a pop record. I had this on a lot this year. So I'm probably discrediting myself now, and everyone's not going to listen to our music anymore. But hey, uh, you got to give her respect. She made an amazing album. So there you go. The number one record of the year, Jerome's Dream. The Gray In Between. And we're going to have an exclusive interview with Eric Rattensperger of Jerome's Dream coming up shortly. But first, we're going to talk about our favorite subject, ourselves, because it's been an incredible year for Iodine Recordings, and it's been an incredible year for the new scene. So, Casey, what do you think was the most listened to episode of the new scene in 2023? This isn't fair, because I know the answer. I think I know the answer. Yeah. Um, Kurt Ballou, Converge. Yeah. It, it, it Like, by a long shot. He just blew everybody else out of the water historically and this year. You know, I got to say, like, people who know me, I, I used to work for Kurt and Converge. I used to tour with them. And, um, you know, Kurt doesn't do a ton of interviews. So, one, I think it was really cool that he came on the show. But he came on and he just brought everything you'd want to the interview to the table you know and you know he talked about the early converge days he talked about his recording style he talked about uh, his songwriting process and he got really personal at times and you know it was just such a a cool thing to hear and even though i know kurt i've known him for 20 something years um i heard stories in that that i had never even heard before so it's it's no wonder that you know, people keep coming back to that episode. Yeah, it still does very good numbers. It always creeps back into the top tens. And uh, definitely one of my favorites of the year. Kurt was super nice. I think I could have kept going. It was a long interview, too. I think it might have, I think we might have recorded more than an hour and a half. And I could have kept going. And he never said, like, we got to wrap this up or I got to go. Like, it was just, it just couldn't have gone better. So great stuff. Let's see. What else do I want to talk about? Well, let's talk about some of the highlights because I think that 2023 for this podcast, you know, we've seen a lot of growth, you know, over the years. And I think we've, you know, doubled our numbers from the year prior as far as number of people listening. Yep. 
But I mean, God, you know, Stephen Brodsky, Norman Brannon, um, Tool, right? Justin Chancellor from Tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how how does it feel um, to be talking to, you know, some of the, I don't know, some of the most important people in in the scene right now, or in, in music in general? Because, you know, that's it's impressive that you're able to get all these people on the show, but that you do it with such comfort and ease. It's a dream come true, but I don't get too wrapped up in it because I'm so close to it and I'm always working on it. I'm just I'm just focused on the work and getting the next episode done and doing the best job that I can with every single interview. But once in a while I'll like scroll through the timeline and be like, "Wow, look at all these people I've talked to. It's pretty crazy." But it sometimes it takes someone telling me like Casey when we were at uh the Quicksand show, right? And we were watching them and you were like, "You've interviewed three out of the four people on that stage because Brodsky was up there, Walter was up there, and Sergio was up there. And I was like, oh yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> so, uh, I love so it. What, what what were your highlights for this year? I mean, I I was just looking back and we got Dennis Lixon. Um, Hold on. Let's, let's, let's pull up a list here. It's going to be hard. To, I can, dude, I can't remember like anything. Like some things I remember and some things I don't. I had a, a we, I have a re, I have a return guest coming up, and I went back and listened to their old episode, and I didn't remember like any of it. So it's like, <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's see. I'm gonna go back to the beginning of this year. We started off strong with, yeah, Tim Singer. I was really nervous during that one because it's Tim Singer. That was great. Jake Snyder, amazing. Annihilate of Zulu, amazing. Sergi from Sam I Am and Ways Away, he really brought it. My favorite moment on the Sergi interview was when he like sort of talked down on himself. He's like, I'm not talented like, you know, a singer. I just play guitar. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had, he had this whole talking track where he's like, no one has a favorite guitar player. Like, I'm just playing guitar to the singer or something like that. And I was like, no, like I have favorite guitar players, but he, he, yeah, <laughs> he just wouldn't let it. He wouldn't, he yeah. wouldn't accept it. And I, 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 th I said he wasn't giving himself enough credit, but, uh, you know, I don't think he agreed. I thought the Dennis Lixon interview was incredible. Um, you know, Dennis brought some really amazing stories. Yeah. I really enjoyed hearing him talk about sort of the, the rise and I don't know if I'd say the fall of Refused, but sort of you know, the process of how the band ended. And, um, you know, it was cool to hear that because I don't know that I ever heard that story, you know, at least in that, that complete way before. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Steven Brodsky, I, we had Adam McGrath on the show. All right. You know, we started reaching out to Caven, I think the first year we started doing this podcast, right? So I was super, super happy to have Adam on the show. And then, I just didn't think we'd ever get Stephen Brodsky. I don't know why. You know, I'm just, well, I, I can think negatively about things sometimes. It's a thing. But he came on the show. And in addition to it being a great conversation, Casey, you know this. I'm very critical of myself when it comes to the interviews. But I feel like the Stephen Brodsky interview was perfect. And, you know, what you hear is always like really good because I spend a lot of time editing everything and making sure it's perfect. But that conversation just flowed. I didn't feel like I was awkward at all. And it, I think everything was just perfect. So it was nice to feel like that on top of it being an incredible conversation. 
Yeah, no, that was a great one. And I think my personal favorite this year was Norman Brannon. And yeah, I've heard interviews with Norman before, but I just felt like he told some very personal, very sincere stories, um, you know, just about his struggles as coming out as homosexual and dealing with his family and how music and his zine really sort of helped him process that. And I was really gripped by that episode and I probably listened to it three or four times since it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to keep going back because every time I heard it, I heard something that I, I didn't hear the first time through, you know, that one I, I thought was really special. Yeah. I, another person that I was just waiting and waiting to have on the show and he's been such a big inspiration to me. Texas is the reason has been one of my favorite bands since like the year 2000. I pretty much learned to play guitar, like listening to them and just a huge inspiration, Norman and the rest of that band. So very happy to talk to him. And uh, Justin Chancellor from Tool. That's one of my favorites because that was just such a surprise. (laughs) I didn't think, uh, I really didn't think I would ever have anyone that big on the show, like like a big mainstream band like that. Yeah, well, it's a good thing you booked uh, Dave Grohl for the last episode of the year because it doesn't get any bigger than that, right? We got to keep bringing the heat. We have to. And then uh, Popeye, Popeye Vogel sang from Farside and Calling Hours. We've gotten a big response to that episode. That's definitely one of my favorites of the year. I think my favorite part of the Popeye episode was when he stopped and he's like, so Keith, tell me how you're feeling or something like that. He like turned it around on you and I could tell you were so caught off guard. You're like, oh, wait, (laughs) how do I answer this? I was incredibly caught off guard. And then like when he said we were friends, I I, I felt bad because I kind of joked. I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to email about shows. And but like that was just so meaningful. And uh, I'm I'm happy that he said that. And I, I, I hope he knows I consider him a friend, too. That was really touching. Definitely one of my favorites of the year. And uh, I'm going to throw Jeff from Code 7 in there too, because that whole detour with all the ghost stories and everything, super unexpected and super interesting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Um, And definitely an enjoyable episode. And for those of you who have not gotten to that episode yet, that detour is, uh, is definitely an interesting listen. Yeah. Ghosts are real, apparently. Who knew? All right, let's do this. Let's do this. How about some thanks? First, I want to thank everyone who came on the show this year, right? They all make it possible. I love every episode of this show. I put my all into every episode of this show. And anybody who's willing to come on and give me their time, I'm just super appreciative of. Uh, I have to thank Casey for supporting the podcast and helping me get guests and helping me have wonderful art for the show that I call him at 2 a.m. every night to request. And uh, no, I'm making up. I don't think the up. people know that. Do they know that? I, I do all the graphics. So, you know, I'm late on Sunday nights. I'm up till like, you know, two in the morning trying to get uh, graphics to Keith for the next uh, the next episode. Yeah, I don't think they know that. Yeah. So Casey and I have this thing now on Sundays, like he'll call me while he's doing the graphics and then we'll just be on the phone. Like sometimes we won't even be saying anything. Like we'll just have the phones up and he's doing something and I'm doing something and it's a, it's teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. 
you know, in, in talking about the graphics, I think it's important to thank all of the photographers that have provided their photos. And this is another sort of uh, behind the scenes sort of thing that we don't talk about very often, but every photo that we use, we source direct from photographers. We ask their permission to use the photos. We credit them appropriately and we don't ever use photos without permission. Um, and so everyone who's given us photos has done so out of goodwill and, you know, wanting to help the show. So yeah, there's some that we keep coming back to like JC and Michelle and, um, uh, who else Keith, we, I feel like we use like the same 10 people over and over again. Danielle, Danielle Dombrowski. Yep. Corey Lane. Yep. I can't think of everybody. Damn. There's too many. There's too many for sure. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Simon, uh, who made the original graphics, uh, still supports us. So thank you, Simon. And all the great publicists we're working with, Monica from Speakeasy, Amy from Adam Splitter, Shane from Adam Splitter, Stephanie Marlowe. I mean, who else? Tim from Sweet Cheetah. We've got to shout out Alexa from Wordless PR, because I'm pretty sure we've had every every uh, musician she's represented on the show. Um, she came out to the um, quicksand book signing and we were joking about how we've just run down her list of uh, artists and we just have everyone she represents on the show. Yeah. The entire list. And, and of course, all the listeners who support us week to week, you know who you are. I speak with a lot of you. You know, we have a solid group of people who listen to every episode no matter who's on. And that's the biggest compliment of all to me, you know, because uh, it's like a story that's unfolding that we're all in together. So uh, yeah, thank you to everybody who's had any hand at all in helping make this sh show a success. Oh, let's, uh, let's not forget about the sponsors, Keith. Oh, the sponsors. Yes, the sponsors. Okay. All right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm so ready. we're going to thank Death Wish Inc., New Morality Zine, Triumph Printing Company, Evil Greed, and Bridge Nine Records. And speaking of Bridge Nine Records, they are our sponsor for the month of December. So here's some updates. War on Women will be headlining We Out Here Festival, a festival that celebrates feminine voices in underground rock. That takes place February 23rd in St. Pete, Florida. Check the Bridge Nine page for more info. Incendiary Device have announced select tour dates that run through May. Check their page or the Bridge Nine page for a full list of dates. Sign up for Bridge Nine's email list. You'll get information about new releases, exclusive in-store shows and events, and promotions that go out to the email subscribers regularly. And don't forget, this is big news. You get 20% off in the Bridge Nine store with code NEWSCENEPOD at checkout. 20% off. It's the holiday season. Buy yourself something nice. Buy something nice for somebody else. Use that code at checkout and get 20% off your total order. And don't forget to stop by the Bridge Nine record store at 282 Rantoul Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. For more information, Head to bridge9.com and don't forget to follow the label on Instagram at bridge9. That's bridge N I N E.
All right. So there you go. And now we have an exclusive interview with Eric Rattensperger of Jerome's Dream. Enjoy. Right. So we are here now with the new scene top album of the year recipient, Eric Rattensberger. Eric, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. It's really nice to be here. Yes, Eric, it's great to have you here. It's been a while since I've spoken to you. And uh, listen, first I've got to say, The Gray In Between, amazing record. My favorite of the year, Casey's favorite of the year. And you have won the coveted new scene top record of the year award. I'm going to ask you some questions about the record and some other stuff, but uh, you know what? First, I have to ask you, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, thank you. Yeah, um, it's been a blur of a year, but um, we're at the end of it, and we've, we've made it successfully to the end, and a lot of reflecting going on. Um, yeah, just a wild ride, man. I, I mean, I can't believe that we're already here. And um, yeah, it's just been a crazy year. And I'm super grateful for all the things that kind of went down. And um, yeah, what a great way to close it out with uh, with you two. Yeah, this is great. I think this might be the fastest year of my entire life. But mm -hmm. before we launch into talking about the record, uh, since we, Casey, since you're here, do you want to share with uh, Eric any quarterly earnings reports <laughs> or uh, sales figures or or any strategies for the upcoming year? Yeah, we'll go through all the, re the recoupables first and then, uh, you know, the, the checks in the mail, Eric, I promise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it would be interesting to talk about all of that stuff publicly on the air, it could be a good <laughs> look into the music business. What do you guys think? Yeah, the uh, the transparency of uh, of financials. Yeah, that, that's a very intriguing <laughs> subject matter. <laughs> we might as well show our personal bank accounts as well. I think uh, I think we can all agree that no one gets into punk and hardcore to get rich, and um, we all do this from a place of passion. And you know, that's uh, that's one of the things that. Jerome's dream and and me and iodine always sort of sort of like connected on was that you know this is something that we do from the heart and it's expensive and it costs a lot of money but at the end of the day like being able to create this as a team has just been a really special process it, it really i like that yeah i mean and, and it's true i mean it, it you know in all seriousness it, that's very much the case and um you know, it's almost like welcomed suffering in the process, but enjoying every second of it um, while we're doing it. And it definitely was a concerted effort to kind of poise this thing to do what it did. Um, and what I really appreciated was how we all kind of fired on all cylinders and, and 
brought our A game to the table and um, really worked in concert with each other. You know, there was like a real synchronicity to how we just were adaptable and nimble and um, just fired up from day one. And that really was kind of, I mean, I feel like it's, it, there's still a continuation from now going into next year. There's just like this amazing feeling of camaraderie and effort to just keep forging ahead. So, um, yeah, I'm obviously super grateful for that. Super grateful for Casey and his dedication and his passion. And, um, you know, I, I, there's, I've just, I've never experienced anything like this. I think I could speak, um, for Jeff and Sean, um, regarding that as well. When did you start writing the record, The Gray In Between? Was it after you moved out to San Francisco? Yeah. So, so when I moved to San Francisco in July 2020, and because, um, you know, Jeff was already here, Jeff had moved here 20 years ago. So he's, he's been, you know, he was already settled in and Sean grew up here. And when I moved up here, it was those two guys that made my transition from Los Angeles to SF basically seamless. And the only difficulty was that it was during a pandemic. And to fast forward um, through all that stuff, it's like basically once we felt safe to get back in a room, we just started going to the rehearsal space and didn't really have an objective at first. We just wanted to have something to look forward to every week. And we would just get in the space and not really have an objective other than to just play music and hang out together. And um, it sort of organically developed into this rhythm of exploring new music, new territory. Um, and we just kind of found this, this momentum. And before we knew it, we had a cluster of songs. We were doing a lot of like iPhone memos and demos. And I was recording a lot of stuff on guitar at home, bringing it to them. Um, and then we just kind of like jumped on ideas and expanded on them. And, you know, after a night or two, we had these frameworks of songs and they just felt like there was like a real thing kind of happening. So then we kept going into the space every week and then once a week ended up becoming two, two times a week. And um, it was just like the, it was just the best time every week just to be in that room. And I, f I feel like it just gave us some kind of direction, some kind of purpose. Um, you know, there was a lot of unknowns back then. So we kind of just holed up and we were just together in, in this bubble. Um, it was really just Sean and Jeff and, and, you know, Jack Shirley on occasion, we would get like food with him, um, but like sit at opposite corners of, of the apartment. Uh, it, it, was, it was such a weird time, you know, but, you know, we, we made our our best effort to to at least feel somewhat normal week to week but the the routine and the scheduling of practice really kind of gave us that constant you know eric I, i've got, i've got a question if you don't mm. mind yeah. keith um you know i think before you jumped on keith and i were talking about just some of the unique things that this album brought to the table that I don't know that I've ever heard before. And one of them is sort of the way that it feels like these songs revolve around the percussion, percussive elements, right? Where there's this sort of groove and rhythm, um, 
you know, and the, and the drums almost come across as the centerpiece. And the other thing was the way that you kind of interwoven the, the, the noise and the feedback. And I'm curious as to the approach of how those two things really came into the songwriting. Well, I, I don't, I don't know if it was conscious choice to have everything kind of threaded together the way it became threaded. Um, I, the, I think the way Sean plays and how that interacts with, um, you know, sort of the, the rhythmic nature of Jeff and I playing, um, it's almost like, you know, Jeff and I serve as like w- one instrument in, in certain ways, um, just because we're so locked in and those rooted parts of the songs are are so percussive and we've kind of always i think again unintentionally but because i'm a drummer but i i typically put together the the frameworks for these songs i feel like that's just how i write that's how my mind works and somehow um it really uh it resonates with jeff and jeff like really understands the the approach i'm taking to the songs and he adapts very quickly to them and Sean, uh, again, just just he naturally just kind of slid right in with his own take on the songwriting and really made the parts his own. And I, I have no idea what exactly he's doing, um, but his his style just it it really comes through in these songs where you can almost really tell that you know Sean is playing these parts and he really made them his own. So I wouldn't say that it was like a stylistic choice. It, it never really was. It was almost just kind of uh, how we've always approached it. And um, I, I think maybe the the difference between this record and stuff that we've done previously is I think we were really mind. One thing that we were really intentional about and and really mindful of was the actual songwriting. You know, we really wanted to kind of raise the bar for ourselves, not only in like the musicianship or the execution of the the musicianship, but but really like challenging ourselves and how we can construct songs that were interesting, but still, I, I don't know if listenable is the the word, but they were written in such a way where we we hope we hoped that like you know people could could latch on to some kind of part within every song um so yeah i don't think i don't think like we're such you know i i I just i don't know if we're like that versed in songwriting to really know what we were doing at all times i think there was a lot of stuff that just kind of you know happened organically and um i i think we we definitely can tell what's working and what's not working but that doesn't come without playing something you know dozens of times over and over again just to kind of flesh it out and determine like what you can take away from it to make it feel bigger or more impactful you know Mm -hmm. i think that really comes across because there's certainly at least one memorable part in every song and definitely more in a lot of them and that's something i tried to do myself you know like not make it too complicated have something memorable, have something repeating, have some good structure in there. Because 
so many bands, too many bands just throw a lot of parts together or it's it's like not cohesive, it's not memorable. And I don't know, it's, I, I don't want to do that. But uh, Well, I mean, that reminds me of a conversation I had with um, Mike York uh, from Pianos Become the Teeth. And we had played some shows, a handful of shows together sometime this past year. Uh, or maybe it was actually... F- God, was it fall 2022? Yeah, I think it was that long ago. Um, anyways, we just had this conversation um, talking about how, you know, there, there's something, there's something to be said for bands who capture a feeling through. Uh, we're basically we were talking about young, like like younger bands, or maybe when when we were even younger and we were writing songs, and they were less motivated by um you know the 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 composition or the or the or the craft of songwriting but more so about capturing a feeling and almost letting it be just kind of like this linear story through through part after part through you know um yeah just just playing multiple parts within a song and not even or very rarely even returning to something to kind of cinch it up you know and i mean even back then i didn't know the difference between a chorus and a verse or a pre-chorus or post-chorus or bridge i didn't know any of that shit and i think over the years you know you kind of just develop that awareness and um you know i think just from my my personal experience in music uh and and also playing in other bands i i don't know i think i just picked up a thing or two that i felt could benefit our music through being more mindful of the compositions themselves, you know? And I mean, I'm sure there's some mus- musicians out there who are just like, well, yeah, like verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, outro. It's like, that's like one of the simplest song structures, you know, from like a, a pop sensibility. Um, but, you know, with, with hardcore or punk, you don't want to, it's weird. It's like, you don't want to limit yourself in terms of capturing a feeling or, uh, driving an idea within the confines of a traditional song structure, but you you have to also recognize <laughs> why these song structures work for a lot of music out there, you know. And um, I think we applied that awareness to this record um, from from song one to to the last song, and um, we found that it just it just worked you know it, it's like the the music still felt interesting to us and it felt like it was still achieving the thing you know in terms of feeling expression and and, and all of that visceral nature of of this music but we kind of created outlines for them to live within and they just seemed to serve the song better than they 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 would if if we just kind of you know played part after part after part i mean sometimes that works i mean i listen to older stuff and there's really no like cohesive song structure at all, but it still has a feeling, whether it's the texture of the recording itself, you know, uh, or if it's just, uh, you know, and, and, and sorry, I'm kind of skipping around, but to get back to my conversation with, with Mike, um, we kind of concluded that there's, there's pros to both, you know? Um, yeah. And there's no like one set way or, or there's no like right or wrong in like what's impactful or what's not. So, yeah, it just all depends on the band. Like I try to write more traditionally because that's what works good for me. But then you have a band like the Callous Dowboys, like mm. they don't follow any kind of typical blueprint a lot of the time and it's magnificent. Yeah. 
And I think that's what makes a band like that so uniquely them. You know, it's like they're they're following their own rules, but that's just the thing. Like they're they're creating their own rules. They're not trying to work within a framework that that already exists. They're kind of pushing the envelope in both genre and songwriting. So um yeah, totally. That's a great example. The track A A E E A A. Now this sounds like a song that started with you and Jeff <laughs> and then guitar was placed on top of that. Am I correct? Kinda, yeah. I mean, that song of all the songs, that song was actually kind of written on the fly in the rehearsal space. Um, that was a song that I, I, I didn't do on my own um, at home. We basically were just at a rehearsal and we were kind of coming to the end of r- wrapping up our, our cluster of songs that we wanted to kind of pick from. And we sort of just started writing. Um, and I think I came up with that pattern because there was a drummer um, back in the day from Connecticut. He was in a, in a band called Josta 14. His name was Todd Zulu, and um, he's a little bit older than me. And I kind of, he was, Josta 14 were kind of the hometown heroes of New Haven, Connecticut. And um, Josta 14 was started by Jamie Josta from Hatebreed. So he, uh, he was the singer of Josta 14 um, at the time. Oh, right. Yeah. And so Todd Zulu, um, he, he unfortunately passed away. He, um, he was in a car accident a few years ago. But as a young drummer um, and going to local hardcore shows in Connecticut, um, I always, I just loved watching him play. And that song is inspired by a drum pattern that he always did. It was kind of a signature drum pattern that um, I really gravitated towards that he used to play, you know, within Just a 14. And I basically, I, I took that pattern and I just kind of just drove it into the ground with the repetitive nature of this song. And it's kind of a nod to him and, and an appreciation for him having an influence on me and how I play as a drummer. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's really sad that that he's no longer around. He died when you know, he was only in his mid forties, I believe, and he was up in Massachusetts. And he was, I think, he was in a band, and I think he was teaching drums. And I hadn't spoken to him for years, but then I later found out that that happened. And I don't know. I, I think about my past a lot in terms of how formative this, you know, this community, this scene, punk, hardcore. It, it it's like here I am. I'm forty four years old, and we're all a little older than we were 20, 25 years ago. And here we are still talking about it and expressing appreciation for this thing that we're a part of. And um, that song, though written on the fly in in the rehearsal space, I I, I couldn't help but kind of use him as inspiration to to basically lay it out. And um, so that's kind of a nod to him. That's a... So fascinating. I, I would have never guessed any, like if you would have said, guess the band who inspired <laughs> that song, I don't think I would have ever guessed just a 14. So that's why the songwriting process is just so incredible. And that's why you got to do the uh, try to write a song in the studio thing, because A-A-E-E-A-A is my favorite on the record. You guys wrote it on the fly and great things always come out of that. I mean, Limp Bizkit, Nookie, another <laughs> song written on the fly in the studio. Are you saying that A A E E A A is is our nookie? It's yeah, it's akin to nookie. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I can get um, behind that. I I've got like a two part question. 
Mm-hmm. So I want to know how the interludes came into play. And I think that the two interludes that are on the album are so necessary. And I really think it is sort of what ties this album together because there's so much harshness in these songs, not just, you know, from the, you know, the loudness and the feedback, but harshness in the content of the lyrics and the, the two interludes give the listener this, this really necessary break and it gives the ears a break. And then when the songs come back in, they're only that much more powerful. So I'm curious how those came about. And the second part of the question is, did this album turn into a concept album for you? And if so, you know, what was the concept? Those are really good questions. Um, and I'll start with the, the segues. Um, the, you know, it, it wasn't a thing where we were like, okay, we're, we're now going to write our segue. You know, it, it came after the fact when we had, you know, uh, 10, 15 songs that we were listening to over and over and over again. And in the process of writing all these songs, um, there are a lot of times in the rehearsal space where I would just be sitting behind my drum set with the guitar plugged into an amp. Sean would have his guitar. Jeff would have his bass. And sometimes we would just workshop ideas or just, or just play, you know, we would just play a repetitive part. And it's almost like, even though it, it, it's, it's repetitive, there was a feeling, at least for, on my end, I felt like we were, we were all kind of just like thinking about, ugh, I don't, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, like those, those parts for me personally are moments of, yeah, like moments of pause, but also moments of reflection, moments to just kind of let your mind wander and just kind of let the mechanics of playing just sort of take you wherever, you know? And one of those segues, the segue, um, I believe it's often oceans. I think that's what Jeff titled it. Um, the segue prefacing the last, the last water pearl, it's called off, often oceans. And that's just a, a guitar, a guitar part being played over and over again. And that was the three of us playing together in the rehearsal space. We didn't, we didn't even record that in the, in the studio. That was an iPhone capture of us just playing at rehearsal. And, um, when we were going through the demos, we keep everything on a G drive or, you know, on Google drive. And one day Jeff, he texted us the file and he's like, what is this? And I, I played it and I'm like, oh yeah, like I remember we did that. But the thing is, Sean, he ended up taking that file. He didn't even tell us that he had like uh, kind of like worked on it a little bit, but he he's the the one who sort of added that wash of reverb at the end. Um, so he kind of just just took it upon himself to just I don't know. He just he just did that, but he didn't tell us, and it was he put it back on the drive. So when when we listened back to it, it didn't sound like the way we had recorded it, and um, we thought that that would that that particular loop just kind of captured a moment in the process of us making this thing. And um, it was one of, of many moments in the rehearsal space, just playing guitar together, you know? So that was for that segue. But the other one 
was a piece that I had written um, at home, just like you know, on a like a like the piano part, and um, you know, I had originally the working title for that track was actually titled Four River." And um, if you know, if we if we're okay with revealing this, I had written that inspired by you, Casey, um, and. I'm getting giddy, like choked up thinking about it. But, but you know, the, the year that you've had um, with your son, I thought about writing, writing a piece for him. So that segue is for you and your son. Did you know that, Casey? I did. Um, we had talked about this, um, I think right before I heard the album for the first time. Yeah. I think I had sent that to you before you heard anything else. I think, I don't know. I can't remember. Actually, I didn't hear anything until I heard the full album. And I was telling Keith earlier, um, you know, when the album was finished and you sent it over you had asked me to listen to it from start to finish, you know, without distraction. And I had taken my car for a drive and I sat down and, uh, I listened to that from, you know, the, the whole thing through for the first time. And, um, that song and, you know, the part where Jeff comes in and he starts screaming, I've got to get away. I've got to get away. And I just it, like, it struck this chord inside of me and I just like opened up and started crying. Like, I haven't cried ever in my life before. And it just had this like power over me that I haven't had with music in a really long time. And for me, that was like the, the thing that made this album so special was, you know, not only knowing that there was some part of it that related to what I was going through, but that it opened up this feeling inside of me to just kind of feel like I could let go. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I think that was the whole thing was, you know, I think there was such a concentrated energy around making this thing. And, and you know, Casey, you, you were alongside us the, the whole process. And, you know, we were so excited to kind of keep you updated on what we were doing and, you know, uh, just to kind of let you know where we were at and all that. And, you know, <laughs> And beyond beyond that communication regarding like make you know, recording songs or whatever, we, we you know we had just been talking throughout the year whenever you had time because obviously you were managing a lot and still are. But in that that year, this past year or, or almost two years ago, year and a half to, to two years, like you know the the amount of stuff that you had on had on your plate. Yet you still made time. You still made time to to get on the phone with with us, just to check in, and not even to really talk music or or you know record stuff, but more so just to chat. And um, you know, of course, y your um, tr transparency and what you were going through and all that. I I I don't think there was any way that that couldn't have affected our headspace and just our awareness of you know what you were going through and yeah i think i think it just it kind of seeped into my my creative process in in that moment and i think when i when i was 
sitting at home and I was just kind of playing that part and working out the the feel of it, it just made me think of the circumstance and um that that's how it kind of came to be. So um but you know the whole the record as a whole is definitely of that theme I think. I, I, it wasn't like it was set out to become this theme, but this was a capturing of a very particular moment, I think. And I think writing this music during the pandemic, during a time where there was a lot of unknowns, um, it the, the the world was was changing by the day, and it couldn't have not influenced what we captured. And um, I think in the end, when we went into the studio to record it all, there there was such a concentrated focus and drive and and um like we were just on a mission you know and we recorded all of this pretty quickly um i think we tracked everything in almost 2 days we had done the vocals at our rehearsal space actually um i, I it was just me and jeff in the rehearsal space late nights when no one else was around so we just um recorded those beforehand or, or afterwards rather and um and then jack flew them in and uh then started mixing it but um i mean our world was basically the rehearsal space you know yeah um i mean i was writing at home and all that but it was still like it nothing really came to life or, or got lit up until the three of us got in that room and just started gelling it all together and then you know once once we did it officially at Jack's, then, then it really just became this other thing. And while this was all happening, you know, I, I was personally thinking like, this is, this is incredible. It's like, we have the three of us as the band, we have Jack on, on, on deck to help us see this thing through. I mean, that was an amazing spirit experience in itself. Just, just working with Jack is, um, has just always been such a great experience. Um, knowing that, you, Casey, were, were sort of on the sidelines from afar, you know, on the East Coast, just knowing that you knew what was going on and what we were doing. And um, it really felt like like something was was taking place, you know? And this was all before we kicked off tour this past summer. It's just fucking wild that we we like already had like a whole year of this insane collaboration and uh, planning and just just setting it all up and this is all before we even played a show um by the time the record came out in may how did it feel to finally like play these live and see the the reaction and the the people you know that came out to experience these songs with you for the first time i mean it was overwhelming it, I, I, we couldn't have imagined what this thing eventually became and and honestly i feel is still becoming it, it it i feel like the moment like the thing has not stopped and i don't think we've ever really experienced this before as a band you know in terms of actually seeing it in real time people continuing to gravitate towards these songs or people that have never heard of us and suddenly are gravitating towards uh this record or coming to a show and seeing us for the, for the first time. It's, it's been a really uh, new, new experience for us. But you know, when we, when the record came out May 5th, 
we really hit the ground running because on May 6th, we were already in Chicago. We were playing ZBR Fest. We had um, played Audio Tree that weekend. We played um, you know, a studio session at Chicago Music Exchange. Um, so like right out the gates, it just felt like we were, we were just like pedal to the metal. And then once we started playing more shows across the country, like when we actually um, started touring, I still can't believe the kind of re reactions that we've been getting every night. You know, it's not just like, you know, a one-off crazy show. It's like every single show we played this year, it's almost like people feel like they have permission to just let loose with us. And it's not like a, in a crowd killing type of way. It's like, it's like a catharsis. And this is what I, what I think we can only hope for, for people to feel safe to just fucking let loose and, and and just kind of exhaust whatever is is within them, you know, in, in a safe space where people feel supported, and um, that's kind of what I've personally always wanted to see in like punk rock, you know, uh, for myself. And I think that it seems like our shows have they they've kind of become that for people um, over this year, m more so than any other tour or. Um, time in the band's existence like this is completely different territory for us this year um and this same thing happened in europe i mean i couldn't believe it that even in europe they felt like the shows in the u.s and we hadn't really um scratched the surface in europe i mean we we, we went over there i think once um uh, like before the pandemic but that was it and um this was a whole other thing so yeah, I was talking about it in the beginning of the show, but when I saw you in New York City, uh, there was a lot of young people there, which I wasn't expecting, and everybody was going off. It was so great, and not in a crowd-killing way, like you're saying, just thrashing about and just letting it all out, which was so great to witness. Yeah, that was that show was, um, you know, the, the, the concentrated energy that we were able to, um, that we've been able to kind of experience with people coming to the shows uh that one that one stood out because for one it's it's new york but two it was you know it was a sold out show and it was almost 300 people and everyone was just there to i don't know to have a good time and to let loose and and i think that's what's been happening um you know every time we've we've been playing and um again that's like you know when you're a younger band and i'm sp just speaking from for myself it's like you know whenever we played shows when we were kids all we could hope for if all we were hoping for is like, Oh, if, if people move, that means they like us, you know? And, but now it's like a thing where I, I can't even look at the crowd when I'm playing. Cause I just get distracted and overwhelmed. So I just kind of like stay in my bubble. Cause I, I really like, I can, I can enjoy the energy, but if I look at it, I just get, I, I get distracted. Yeah. Um, when Jeff was on the show, he mentioned that Nick, the original guitar player, Nick Antonopoulos, he, he just disappeared. You guys didn't hear from him again. Have, has anyone heard from him? Do you know no, what's going on? No, we haven't heard from Nick. Um, and and it, nothing, no text, no nothing. email, just zilch? Zilch, like absolute radio silence. And, um, you know, we tried reaching out to him several times at the time of uh, when we were going to record the record. So, uh, you know, originally we had every intention to include Nick on this record, even if he wasn't going to be able to record on every song, you know, in the beginning, 
of the songwriting process, we were actually sending him demos. Every, like every time we rehearsed and we came away with iPhone demos, we would excitedly text him or email him and, and just be like, you know, check this out. And, you know, we even went so far as like, well, Sean went so far as to like record him playing guitar to like show Nick the parts because we really just wanted to have him do whatever he could just to have involvement. Now, mind you, we're in SF. He's still in Connecticut. So like logistically, there was a strain. But I also think, you know, because Nick isn't the best communicator, I, I think uh, um, I'm just I'm just presuming that I, I think it just became a bit too much for him with the the idea of just knowing that we we were going so full throttle and he wasn't here. But you know, we had every intention to get him out here during the um recording i mean we we had we had bought him a plane ticket honestly and then he kind of he kind of backed out and um you know we haven't heard from him since so um i was really kind of like hurt at first just as i'm sure he 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 was hurt and maybe is still hurt um but um you know i was feeling kind of just like well I don't know what more we could have done, um, but I think it was just a, a point in the band's existence where that kind of transition, transitional period of just, you know, the three of us being in the Bay Area and then Nick just still being in Connecticut, it it was just, it, it was almost like an inevitable thing, you know? All um, right. But I just wish that he, there was better communication and, um, you know, we kind of, I mean, he, Nick is still our brother. He he. We've shared something with him that you know that it, it, it's like you can't you can't touch what we've done together. Um, you know, as a band and like the earlier iterations of of JD and all that. And but I think after a while, we just kind of had acceptance of it and have always spoken favorably of him you know um, we've never we don't carry any kind of um bad blood towards him you know we we know he's he's just he's 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 nick you know he's our he's he's our really dear old friend and i know that these things happen with bands all the time but it was kind of a shock when when he said he wasn't coming to the to to the recording sessions i kind of just knew that he was tapping out you know that yeah. that was the communication, like him just saying, uh, I, "On second thought, I'm, I don't think I'm going to come out." And we were kind of wow. like, oh, "Okay," you know, yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we just we didn't let anything derail us. We were so fucking focused. So, and and honestly, like, you know, obviously it, it's hard because he wasn't involved in any of the songwriting, and he wasn't on any of the demos, and this thing really just became its own thing. It was, it's, it's a new chapter in the band's existence. So, um, and it just doesn't include him. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's not a part of the, the, the timeline. It's not, it doesn't mean that he's not, uh, you know, a huge part of the band's history, you know, like I would never play that down or neglect to recognize that. Um, so regardless of us, being in communication with him or not it's like you know still fucking love the dude i mean we 
again, we shared an experience together as young kids, like just that you you don't have with with anyone. So, right, and that that this is just a new part of the timeline, but the memories with Nick remain forever. Yeah, and you know you can't expect things to remain the same. You know, we're things are constantly changing. We're constantly evolving. Life just it doesn't remain the same. I mean, it's not the same today as it was six months ago, you know? And sometimes, as we all know, um, including your listeners, like in life, things come at you and it changes the trajectory. Like you can never really predict where things are going to be in a year, two years, three years, five years. Like things just happen. Um, exactly. First time you and Jeff were on the show, I was still the Northeast scene and I had a co-host. Now you're back and it's the new scene and it's just me. That's well, right. and Casey this time. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. And, and by the way, you know, congratulations to you. Um, I mean, congratulations to you both, but, but Keith, I, I really, I really commend your commitment and consistency and just the execution of this podcast you you've done such an amazing job and I, I just can't get over how many incredible guests you've had on your podcast and uh, i just wanted to give you props because you're doing amazing work and um you know i i really appreciate how you're doing it and um your commitment to it and um you're just you're just you're so good at it so um i can't wait to see how you continue to drive this thing, you know, next year or into the new year, rather. Well, thank you for saying that, and thank you for all the public praise as well. I, I went <laughs> and watched uh, you giving props on Audio Tree a bunch of times, and uh, you were—I think you were on another podcast too—and mentioned me. So I appreciate that, especially coming from you, who has written my favorite record of 2023, and it's not only just my favorite record, but it's like an inspiration to me too, because I'm putting together a new band that's kind of in your world of music. And I, I just pull a lot of inspiration from the record as well. So I thank you for that. Eric, I think that, um, you know, Keith and I were talking earlier, you know, we didn't discuss what our top album was going to be for this year. And it just happened to coincidentally both be Jerome's dream. And <clears throat> I had said to him that, you know, even if this record did not come out on iodine, it 100% would still hold that top spot because, you guys really created something beautiful and special that sort of transcends, you know, just a moment in time. And, you know, you guys deserve all the accolades and praise that you're getting right now. So, you know, congratulations and, and you know, thank you for everything that you've done. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, I appreciate it. Um, just everything, um, you know, everything that we've done together collectively um and uh it means a lot to me that you guys um even invited me to to do this with you and to recognize the record we did i i still i can't believe both of you picked our record but it means a lot to me um obviously uh, it means a lot to jeff and sean too and um yeah it, it's a it's a it's it's an interesting feeling right now because all all I've got in my mind now is kind of like where where do we go from here and how can we how can we double down on this thing that we did that kind of I don't know 
it, it brought us a lot of, um, I was going to say it brought us a lot of uh, peace in certain ways, which is, I know it's ironic because the, the music itself is really heavy and noisy, but there's something about reflecting on all of the time spent on this thing and all of the people that uh, were a part of making this thing happen. Because, you know, it wasn't just single-handedly the band and the recording. I mean, to to get it out there in front of people and to to share it with um, everyone, it, it really takes a concerted effort. And um, I don't know. I'm just grateful to be in this circle of people who are doing really cool things and who have uh, um, uh, an approach and a mindset um, kind of what you touched on earlier, Casey, about why we even do this to begin with, you know, and it's not, it's not to get house money. It's because it's what we feel like we have to do from a creative standpoint. And, you know, if we could do it well enough where people like it enough to, to buy a record or a t-shirt or, you know, a ticket to a show, um, and for all of us to kind of just like share this collective uh, experience of music and camaraderie and community, that's where it gets really good. And that's kind of what I really noticed or or observed this year. Um, everything from from before the record came out to to now and hopefully into next year and beyond. Um, I'm just so fucking grateful that we are still able to do this. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you both for for being able to reflect on it a little bit. It's wild that it's the end of 2023 and, uh, you know, there's still a lot more to do. Oh, yeah. It's been a hell of a year and there's more to come. Speaking of, Jerome's Dream has East Coast tour dates in February. So make sure you go to those and please make sure you listen to Eric's podcast, Microspy. Right, Eric? <laughs> That's right. In fact, um, I think after this episode, I'm inspired to edit my last episode of the year, which is uh, with Didi from MS Paint. So look out for that um, before the, uh, the end of the year. Didi uh, was such a pleasure to talk to, and um, we played with them at the fest in Florida, and we just kind of, our bands just kind of gravitated towards each other, and um, we we did the podcast like the following week. So um yeah, what a great band! What a what a great what a great guy he was to to talk to and get to know a little bit. So um, but but yeah, thank you, thank you both for all of this. I really uh, really appreciate it, Eric. Before you go, we we have to take a quick second to appreciate how insane that backyard show was at the fest in Florida. <laughs> yes, that was um that was one of my favorite shows we played, and uh, yeah, was how that did at that, two in the morning when you how guys did that happen? went out? Well, yeah, so the fest uh, set was at 10 p.m. And then we basically, it was just a few blocks away from the venue we played. Um, and then, yeah, well, here's the thing. At the fest, we shared this amazing bill. You know, Seisha played, MS Paint, Gel, Paint It Black, um, Capsule, um and like, oh, and, and like, you know, Jillian Carter and, and just a bunch of other bands. So if that wasn't enough, you know, this after party that was going on close to um, 
James from Bain and uh, Loma Prieta's record shop, Sunshine Records in Gainesville, they, it was like a generator show or something. And it was two in the morning. And not only did JD play and Gel play, but fucking asshole parade played. So there was that. And uh, I couldn't think of a better show to, to wrap the year with. And I'm, I'm still, I'm still kind of reeling from that whole weekend. It was a, Oh, and then with with Walter from Quicksand playing his acoustic set, Jeff Rickley playing his, it's like it was such oh. a great weekend. And then and then you know Casey, we got to hang for a little bit, which was so nice, and all the other iodine cats, and um, yeah, what a, what a surreal way to kind of tie up twenty twenty three the the weekend in Gainesville. I think that that's on YouTube actually. I think I think if you just look up. I don't know, like Jerome's Dream or Gel uh, parking lot show Gainesville. I think that comes up on YouTube. I wish I could have been there. I almost was. I played a fest pre-show, but not the actual show. But Eric, we will meet out on the road together soon enough, I hope. Yeah, I look forward to it. I think um, I think it'll probably be February. Hopefully, if you're in town, uh, we'll see you at St. Vitus. I already got my ticket. Oh my God, I would have listed you. Jesus. Well, you know, I have to give back, you know, but you you can list me and maybe I'll find someone to bring or something. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay, sounds good. Well, guys, thank you. We're out of time. We thank you all of you who joined us for this Christmas Day spectacular show, right? This is the show that keeps giving even on Christmas Day. I'm back next week with another blockbuster episode. So, thanks everybody for listening. Happy New Year and see you in 2024.